we are back. And you know, uh, radio can sometimes be full of surprises. And all we said at the top of the hour, we would not have uh, any guests. Well, I guess I didn't spell that out explicitly, but uh, we were going to just catch up. But um, an opportunity has arisen here with someone dropping by to, to give us a word about, uh, well, something we've always wanted to talk about on this show, Burning Man. Dr. Whitney Lehman returns, having uh, freshly uh, visited this extravaganza up in Black Rock, Nevada, and we're keen to get uh, some, uh, some stories. So welcome back, Whitney. Thank you so much, Doug. People keep talking about how it's great, it's awesome, it's wonderful, and, and I kind of keep thinking, I gotta go check this out. But it sounds like it's there's a lot of really weird, crazy stuff I'd not necessarily want to see. And I guess you sort of experienced a bit of both. Yeah, but it's it's all of those things. It's a it's an art scene. It's supposedly um, an experiment in temporary community and um, radical self-expression, which uh, sometimes means um, lack of boundaries, which can be a good thing and it can be a bad a bad thing when. Uh, you know, other people are being negatively affected by your lack of boundaries. Lack of boundaries to me sort of means like, you know, people might just take their clothes off and walk around naked, and I gather they do. They do, yeah, which I think, you know, that's great. It's it's always interesting. I can't say I've actually stripped nude before, but yeah. I... There's an example of lack of boundaries you would consider good. So oh, what, yeah, absolutely. What, are, what are some that are bad? Uh, lack of boundaries in my mind uh, that would be considered bad are... Uh, Maybe getting uh, dosed with uh, a hallucinogen, which happened to me this year. That wasn't um, particularly pleasant. Whoa. <laughs> you, you, were, you were given a drug surreptitiously. I was. I, uh, walked, How? I believe it was administered through a squirt bottle on, on spray, on stream, not mist. And um, I wasn't asked uh, whether I wanted to be sprayed with anything. And um, when I was being sprayed, I actually said, please don't spray me. I'm not really into being sprayed or misted and I think that just inspired the people to spray me more and it, you know well, did, you, did you have a suspicion as they were about to spray you that something was up uh, no I, I was just walking by pushing my bicycle there was a lot of uh, sand dunes silt dunes in the desert this year uh, there didn't there wasn't enough rain and so the playa wasn't hard like it usually was and I had to push my bike and yeah I was just walking by uh, a camp on four o'clock and you know there were just some kind of people who uh, probably were very high and uh, lacked boundaries and weren't very respectful and uh, I ended up tripping pretty hard and got sick so <laughs> it wasn't a very pleasant night but I don't um, <laughs> know you to be a drug person so I imagine <laughs> no. getting dosed with a hallucinogen was not such a fun thing it, it wasn't I mean it possibly could have been but it really wasn't um how long before you knew something was wrong uh, about 40 minutes into it I knew something was uh, majorly up I started to hallucinate. I got very sick. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, I went out for the night, uh, but it was pretty difficult to sleep. You know, the next day I felt pretty much back to normal. It was it was okay, but I know this seems like a wildly negative story. I've been to Burning Man three times, and that's probably the strangest thing that's happened to me, but that was clearly lack of boundaries. And um, there was also a very large dust storm. Uh, there were two of them, one on Monday and one on Saturday night that went on for, for eight to nine hours. Uh, you know, winds gusting maybe 40 to 50 miles an hour, you really couldn't see more than a foot or two in front of you. And really? On, yeah, and it, I mean, it's it's like that a lot. I mean, it's called whiteout. You have those conditions quite a lot on the play. How do you manage under those circumstances? It, it was harsh this time. My friend uh, who I was traveling with and I had to uh, lock ourselves in our van and turn on the air conditioner too because uh, the sun was partially obscured by all the dust, but it was still really hot. And so without the AC and the engine running... Um, 
we would have roasted quickly in the van and caught it up to, to be over Boy, 100. Boy, sure sounds like a fun <laughs> time to me. There were some fascinating <laughs> things about it, though. Uh, yeah, um, the art this year, in my opinion, wasn't as great as last year. The art last no, year what, what kind of incredible. art things? People construct things, I know. I think that's one of the good things about, you know, as, as Burning Man has grown over time, you know, I haven't the first time I went was probably seven years ago and it was distinctly different. It was a lot smaller. Um, there were some great art projects back then, but when I went last year, I thought the the good thing about, you know, the fact that it, Burning Man has grown in size was the fact that um, some some larger art projects could be funded and there were just some amazing ones. There was one called Big Rig Jig, which was basically two semi-trucks fused together in sort of a yin and yang shape and they were full-sized um, big rigs that somebody had welded together and taken out to the desert. It was amazing. Um, did, did they then transport the trucks or did they drive them there and weld them? Uh, they might have driven them there and weld, welded them. I wasn't there when they put it up, but um, oh. that was pretty amazing. Well, um, what about the whole, isn't, it, isn't there a big burning man they burn every year? Yeah, isn't that the whole? on Saturday night every year they construct this large um, man. It To me it's evocative of the wicker man, the pagan ritual. I think that's what it could have actually evolved out of maybe in San Francisco way back when. Um, but if anyone's seen the movie The Wicker Man, that's a really great movie. And as part of this pagan ritual, they burn this giant wicker man uh, with a lot of, you know, sacrificial animals and a virgin. They needed that. <laughs> they do burn the man every year. Uh, this year, because the conditions were pretty harsh, uh, no one was sure if the burn would actually occur. And when the the storm finally subsided a little bit around maybe 9 or 10 at night, they said, uh, we're going to burn, hurry out to the playa. So they didn't have the usual procession. And uh, there's a lot of really fine, silty, alkaline particles that blow around. Well, so when the dust storms yeah, get kicked quite, up, it's, sort of, it's, really it's quite harsh. Smart. It's very yeah. harsh. Um, yeah. It's a harsh environment. That's a great... And the interesting thing about Burning Man is if you don't backpack or camp, you're not going to like it. Even if you stay in an RV. I mean, it's just a really harsh environment. It's probably one of the harsher places to set up but there's tents this experiment. I guess. There's a lot of tents. You know, mm -hmm. I always bring a tent and um, some my friends have stayed in RVs before that, you know, that provides a little shelter if there's a bad dust, dust storm. This year we just had a van and tent camped. Now, I understand you can't, no one is allowed to sell anything. So there's no commerce going on. You're not, people yeah. are not selling no, stained can, glass. Yeah, BlackRock City Foundation, I guess, has a cafe. So they do, you, there's a centralized place you can go and get coffee and ice. That's pretty much it. Wow. And everything else is free or trade. Um, probably, I, I don't see so much trading anymore. I just see people um, doing things voluntarily. One of my friends this year set up what she called French Toast Camp. And so she just uh, brought eggs and milk and bread <laughs> and a Bunsen burner, basically, and, and went and out on the French playa. She did. Out on the playa at 5.30 in the morning, served 70 or 80 people French toast. Um, my friends have done hair washing stations in the past. Um, I've traded things uh, to people. A lot of people have bars set up and just, you know, it's free drinks until the alcohol dries up. Um, sometimes there are massages uh, available, things like that. And it just sounds so 60s, kind of a be-in, just kind of like anything goes. It's Haight-Ashbury-like. Yeah, I mean, definitely there is that element to it. Um, and then there's also this camping backpacking element. It's also disco rave party after hours. Um, it's an, an amazing art scene, both during the day and at night last night. Uh, last year there was this... So people have paintings and the like, or, or um, what, what sort no, of art? No, 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 um, just big sculptural art, uh, large works in metal and wood. Um, 
last year one of my favorite pieces was I can't pronounce it or I can't remember the name. Um, it was the sculpture of monkeys swinging through this giant tree and um, the snakes, these snakes would emerge from kind of the center of the tree and uh, feed the monkeys apples. It was very evocative of Adam and Eve, but the sculpture wouldn't turn unless uh, it had been charged all day by solar power. And it also wouldn't turn unless people pedaled. It also required pedal power. So there may be 10 bicycles set up. So for it to even work at night, um, um, people would have to pedal, plus it had some sort of solar charging going on during the daytime, and people would pedal, and they would get the sculpture going, and the only reason it looked like monkeys were swinging through the trees and snakes were feeding them apples was because there were strobe lights, and so it was basically very much like one of those old lantern cameras or something where you look hmm. through the slits and mm-hmm. um, you know you see the horse galloping. It was that same sort of idea, but large scale, incredibly well done. It's like a lot of ingenuity goes into this. Absolutely, yeah. And even just some of the smaller art cars uh, are amazing. And uh, one of my favorite things I saw this year were some robots. Some people had robotic um, sharks with neon lights that um, were amazing out in the desert at night that they would operate from afar. Robots, I saw people operating from afar that were really amazing. They well, I had a patient come in and started painting a very vivid picture of how much she enjoyed it and said, boy, you can fly to an airport that's really nearby and then and then visit it from there. She said it's $300 admission. I Absolutely, guess yeah. Okay, it's expensive. Yeah, uh-huh. It's expensive. Uh-huh. But she said that she thought over the years that it had evolved into something that wasn't quite, she thought it was more sort of more, um, I don't know how to, there, she used small is, town and more friendly before and it's, it becoming, it's becoming too big for its own good is how she described it. Yeah, and last year I thought, well, becoming too big for its own good, I sort of enjoyed the crowd a little more last year. They had this idea of Green Man. Burning Man, in my opinion, is not at all um, ecologically friendly. I know the idea is they, they sort of adopted the <laughs> backpacker's creed, leave yeah. no trace, which is right. one thing, but uh-huh. the fossil fuel combustion is something entirely different. There's not centralized um, solar and wind power or at least not on a scale large enough to operate the hundred or the tens of thousands probably of diesel generators that are operating every night. So really at ground level, the diesel particulate matter, the fumes from, you know, a lot of people have art cars that have these big, um, I guess, propane or kerosene flamethrowers. There's a lot of unburnt hydrocarbons. It smells really bad. A lot of smoke in the air besides the dust. Um, and, you know, everybody in RVs, if you imagine 50,000 people this year, that was they, they've capped the event at 50,000 people. Um, well, that's like that's like they the expanded size of the said. It is. They expanded the size of the city. I think it's the third largest city in Nevada. Um, you know, it's a temporary right. city, clearly, but while it exists, I think it's maybe the third largest in Nevada. Well, I'm sure it must be. Carson City's what, like <laughs> five thousand people or so, ten thousand. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, and if you imagine located, all these people driving it? out where, where there, where is it actually? I mean, it's 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 south of Reno. No, it's close to Pyramid Lake. Actually, it's north oh, of Reno. Okay. So it's in okay. um, the Black Rock Desert. Okay, well. But it, it's not very carbon friendly, I have to say. Last year, they, I think they tried to buy some offsets for some of their emissions and probably set up larger scale solar panels and things like that. But it, it doesn't seem to me that a great enough effort has been made uh, in terms of art cars and people in their RVs and even the clubs and things uh, that operate that have these gigantic diesel generators. I mean, it's honestly a a public health issue in my opinion it's really well, it's, it's, it's it needs really to become carbon sequestration man next yeah, year you know, know see if they can put the no maybe just uh reduced carbon footprint man wind solar um maybe hmm. do we need so many rvs do we need so many diesel generators do we need so many art cars with flamethrowers i these are questions i ask myself but uh i certainly enjoy some of it it's 
All right. Well, really I guess I'm going to put it on the calendar for next next Labor Day. Right. And I, you know, the, there is that Girls Gone Wild aspect to it that's kind of seeped in over the years. I find it a little repulsive, but you never know. You know, you might enjoy it. Well, no, no, you haven't <laughs> talked about that. Tell, tell us a little more about that. <laughs> uh, I, I started noticing that several years back. Um, and I think the first thing I noticed was, I, I think actually um, some people tried to film Girls Gone Wild there. I don't know what year it was. and. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was before you couldn't videotape anything for commercial use there. But uh, that element has seeped in over time. And uh, for the last two years, I've seen uh, some older men uh, providing free pasties to, you know, a lot of women go topless, which mm-hmm. I think is great. Uh, but they, they're sort of feeding in. I think maybe they've been brainwashed by girls gone wild or porn to think that their breasts should be touched by any random strange, stranger who wants to touch them. So you do see a lot of older men offering free pasties in the oh, cafe wait, 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 or wait, some wait, of the wait, camps. Wait, 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 I'm writing this down. <laughs> Offer free, free pasties. There you go. Pasties. All you have to do or you just bring some free pasties interesting and, angle, yeah. and you'll get to um, and it did work grope for some, some of these very guys. young nubile flesh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of girls kind of buy into that whole thing i guess they feel it's okay to be groped i I think that's fine if you're okay with it but it's it's kind of worrisome if you've been brainwashed to think objectification (laughs) is okay but if you really like people touching your breasts more power to you you know well what the hell uh how does the pasty work it's got a stick them on it i don't know it is it's basically like a nipple shaped a nipple Mm, um mm. shaped sticker it's got some adhesive and uh it covers your nipple that's its function I see. So they can yeah. be constructed probably fairly cheaply. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you can probably buy thousands for a couple dollars. <laughs> well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Lehman, I appreciate uh, your input uh, on, on this matter. I've been meaning to get you on now for some weeks to talk about this very issue of carbon sequestration, uh, along with um, uh, overpopulation, which I know something you're concerned about and which doesn't seem to get a lot of play in the press anymore no it doesn't um it's sort of a conversation killer unfortunately but when you think of climate change and the fact that we have a finite system and we keep putting carbon inputs into this finite system um something has to happen and there are two fundamental root causes there is carbon footprint basically the fact that we use too much fossil fuel and produce too much co2 uh the basic idea is we want to transition to um less carbon um, in terms of energy production. So we want to transition to low carbon energy sources. And, you know, we, we ideally want to do this by 2050 to prevent um, well, prevent disaster. But, disaster. but, I, but people talk about, you know, adding another billion per people here and there. I keep thinking yeah. like, you know. That's a fundamental problem, in well, my opinion, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, even if you reduce the amount of the carbon footprint of each individual, if right. you add a lot more individuals, you might just break even, and we just can't have that, so. Yeah, uh, we might break even or more than break even. Um, and so, really, that's the question. I mean, it, it, it's a topic that is difficult to address because there are a lot of religious and cultural beliefs in place that um, the right to reproduce is a fundamental right. And I philosophically have to ask, is it a fundamental right if it interferes with the fundamental rights of people who already exist and their future and their future standard of living, the future standard of living of all of us? Is it a fundamental, is it a fundamental right to reproduce and how much should you be able to reproduce? Well, you know, oddly enough, the only government that's, that's, taken a sort of firm stand among all the world governments in the past generation was that in China. That's right. The Chinese were the only ones that look, we got 1.3 billion people, we have to make that trade off and it has to be, we have to go forward with uh, you know, less population growth. Yeah. And China has actually asked for carbon credits basically uh, for, for doing that. And 
I personally think we should do something like that. It, it, the world seems, it seems to me we have to get together and decide on what's a reasonable carbon footprint and what's a reasonable population number and stick to it. Maybe something like human cap and trade where every woman Well, you're doing a lot of that a cap child. and trade and a lot of these issues. Why don't you come back uh, in November after the election? Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we won't be talking so much politics as we do in this program because... Things will be taking a turn for the better. We Absolutely, can hope. I, I'm not sure that um, population cap and trade will ever um, be realized before Mother Nature foists some plague or disaster on us. But um, in terms of fossil fuel combustion, I do think we'll we'll head All right. towards. When some... you come back, I want to talk nuclear too because I've been taking a look at that again. And I think I think uh, like it or not, it's going to have to be uh, implemented to some degree. Uh, that's generally the consensus is that it's a transitional energy source. It's a carbon intensive energy source. It has to be mined, refined, transported. There are um, clearly security issues involved oh, yeah. with nuclear energy plus the waste. It's no free lunch. That, yes, yeah. absolutely. And that hasn't those issues have not been resolved. And when you come back, I want to talk fusion, too. I don't know. That, that's really speculative, but I really think we should address that because I think it's really the only ultimate answer that, you know, is feasible. If it's feasible. And that's, ba- barring that, a that's big the, breakthrough in solar. And they're talking question. about how they may have been some. And yes. I think that's quite curious, too. But anyway, a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, appreciate the update on Burning Man. You're so welcome. I hope it didn't sound negative because there are many fascinating things about Burning Man we could discuss later. If well, no like. doubt some of our listeners will have attended or have attended in the past, and I hope they will send in uh, their feedback to Info at Radio Parallax, and we'll try and read some of their comments about it, too, to get... Uh, I think you were balanced, but let's let's try to balance it there even with some more interest. I would love that. Okay. Give me a good argument. Change my mind. All right. That was atmospheric scientist Dr. Whitney Lehman, a regular contributor to this program, and someone we look forward to bringing back soon. And, uh, you know, we talked a couple weeks back uh, doing some trip recap, and I, I didn't get to finish some of the, uh, some of the uh, places I'd, I'd gone to. And judging by your emails, you seem to have liked hearing about some of this. So let's take a few minutes and kind of tell a couple more anecdotes. Now, uh, I think I mentioned that uh, I missed a flight to go from um, Moscow to Tallinn, Estonia, as originally scheduled. And uh, since I wasn't going to spend any more time in Russia, I'd pretty much been there, done that. I walked back out on the board and had to pick a flight elsewhere. Since my next flight was three days later going Helsinki to Oslo, I didn't want to get too far from uh, the Baltic Sea. Vilnius in Lithuania would have been a good choice, but uh, just missed the flight and, and also had blanked out on the fact that Vilna in Russian is Vilnius. But Berlin seemed like a, like a good uh, possibility, and so indeed I, I flew off to Berlin where I spent basically one day. I think the highlight for me was the Berlin Museum, which I snuck a peek at the next morning before flying out. Uh, I mean, the stuff they stole out of Iraq... This is back, you know, in the 1910s, 20s, etc. The uh, the Ishtar Gate, which I think is probably partly reconstructed, it was quite stunning, which uh, I think contributes to why uh, this this museum apparently is the most visited art museum in all of Germany. Apparently, the Pergamon Museum was severely damaged during air attacks in Berlin, and uh, when the Red Army got there, they pretty much collected all the loose museum pieces and took them away. Apparently a lot of them were returned to East Germany, but significant parts of the collection are still in Russia. And I must say that in Berlin, the Russians are not too popular. There, there are exhibits everywhere talking about East Berlin, West Berlin, showing the people that were shot trying to leave and, you know, come to the West. 
And I thought it's significant that in all of the translations in different languages, no one bothered to put up any, any translations in Russian. But I think I was on the I Hate Russia tour. After leaving Berlin, I went to Latvia and Estonia, two places that uh, had been independent between the world wars. And, well, they declared themselves independent again at the end of the Gorbachev era. And in both places, the significant Russian minority population is now being treated as sort of like, uh, you know, foreign invaders, which they sort of were. Then, then again, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, given their position in the world, uh, seem to have always been uh, invaded by the West or the East. At any rate, I couldn't resist bringing back a small chunk of the Berlin Wall, which is for sale everywhere. Although my understanding is most of it was broken up and, and recycled as, and, and used as construction materials. Did get an email, by the way, uh, a, a few days ago, uh, noting that uh, the writer didn't necessarily agree with some of my positions on communism, uh, a way of organizing society, which you no doubt, uh, if you're a regular listener, uh, realize we, we're not overly fond of. In my case, I'm certainly influenced by the fact that I had a, an East German girlfriend. Her story is uh, pretty interesting. Back about 1987, she got fed up with uh, life in East Germany and decided to try and make a break for the West. A lot of folks were doing this. At one point, uh, they pretty much pulled the border guards, I think, along the border with Hungary. And uh, she and some friends tried to make their, her way across, got caught, because they, well, they, they were still doing some inspections of cars trying to drive across. She wound up spending time in Hungarian women's prison uh, and then was later transferred back to East Germany. Keep in mind she was in prison for the crime of trying to leave the country. I think she was one, uh, one lucky gal. Uh, she wound up getting ransomed out of East Germany by Amnesty International, went to West Berlin, and promptly won a lottery, which then allowed her to travel to Central America where we crossed paths. I always thought it was a rather touching story. Her father was from West Germany. Her mother was from East Germany. They met back in the 50s. Her father had a perfectly good job in West Germany, but uh, upon falling in love, decided to give it up and travel to the East, where life was much more difficult. And it was, most assuredly, a lot more difficult to live under communism. But you know what? We're running a little short of time, so let's take another break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned. Take a look. 